Our second reading this morning is uh, Ephesians chapter 1. This is going to be a uh, a touchstone uh, passage for us as we continue this series of sermons uh, regarding God's providence. Um, so we're going to read the whole chapter this morning, but I would encourage you to read it and to read it again. It's rich, it's dense. Uh, you could preach a hundred sermons out of this one chapter. And as we're reading through it this morning, I want your uh, eyes and ears to be attuned to the phrase, to the praise of. To the praise of. Okay, This is a passage about why God does what God does. Okay, If you want to ask what it's all about, the answer is, to the praise of. So let's read this passage. It's there in your bulletins if you want to follow along uh, in, in the ESV version. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and all the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to him as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Christ we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Him, in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him... You also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. For this reason, because I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you. Remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, which are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named 
not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fulfills all in all. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you uh, for this sanctuary and we thank you for your invitation to gather here. And we thank you for your promise that you would be with us, uh, that you would be wherever two or more are gathered in your name and that you would never leave us or forsake us and that you would be with us till the very end of this age. Lord, we pray uh, your presence here uh, in this sanctuary this morning. I pray that your Holy Spirit would be at work uh, between us, joining us one to another as brothers and sisters in Christ, that your Holy Spirit would be active in us individually, opening our um, minds and our wills to your truth and and to your calling. I pray uh, that as we reflect upon and meditate upon your word this morning, uh, that we would see glorious things, that we would see you more clearly, that we would love you more fully. I pray this for your glory. I pray for our blessing too. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is the second in a series of sermons on the doctrine of uh, of providence. Uh, By providence, we mean God, who is the creator of the universe, continues to uphold and to direct and to govern everything that happens in the universe. Big things and also little things. God's eye is on the nations and kingdoms, but God's eye is also on the humble sparrow. God upholds and directs and governs everything according to his perfect wisdom and according to his holy will. What happens in my life is not the result of karma. It is not luck. It is not chance. What happens in my life is the result of God's wise and holy providence. That's what the Bible teaches. Because the events in this world are not random, because the events in this world are not the result of chance, because the events in this world are happening according to God's will and to God's plan, that means that the events in this world have a purpose. They have an end. They have a goal. All of you, of course, are intelligent people. All of you possess a free will. And that means that every time that you choose to do something, whether it's a small something or a big something, you're choosing it for a purpose, for an end, for a goal. Some of those purposes, some of those ends, some of those goals are not terribly grand or important. Last night, I chose beef and broccoli instead of Kung Pao chicken at the Chinese restaurant. That's not terribly important. But it is a choice. It wasn't random. And every choice for something is simultaneously a choice against all of the other options that were available to me for the simple reason that two things cannot occupy the same space at the same time. If I'm eating beef and broccoli, that means that I'm not eating Kung Pao chicken. And why did I make that momentous choice? 
Well, because I like beef and broccoli better than Kung Pao chicken. I value it more highly. To my taste buds, it is a more delicious dish. Or maybe I wanted broccoli because my eye doctor has told me that I need more green vegetables. Whatever the reason, when we choose, we are saying one thing is better than another thing. We choose what we believe to be more valuable. Every time we make a choice, we can ask, what is our purpose in that? What is our end? What is our goal in making that choice? Now, the choice of a dish at a Chinese restaurant is not very important. But there are grander and more important choices that we make in this life. And our choices reveal what we think is more important and more valuable. We choose what we think is more valuable. On Friday, President Biden offered to airlift President Zelensky out of Ukraine. The Russians will kill President Zelensky if they catch him. President Biden offered President Zelensky a ride to safety. And President Zelensky turned down the offer. He said, I don't need a ride. I need more anti-tank ammunition. Now his choice tells you something about his values. Zelensky is not crazy. He does value safety. He does not want to die. But his choice says that he believes that there are things that are more important than safety. There are things that we must be willing to die for. And he's right. Martin Luther King knew he would be killed. He knew it a long time before it actually happened in Memphis. He knew people hated him and wanted him silenced, but he kept on anyway. He did not run for safety. He did not shut up or hide. And you know why? Because some things are more important than personal safety. Because some things we must be willing to die for. Safety cannot be the highest value of a free people. And since freedom is an essential component of full humanity, safety cannot be the highest value of people who are fully human. Beware of people who offer you safety at all costs. There is a price for that safety. And that price is your very humanity. There is a branch of philosophy that deals with values. It's called axiology. And in axiology, there is a recognition that values are arranged in a, in a kind of a hierarchy. Not everything is equally valuable. There are higher and lower values. You might think of a ladder of values. Beef and broccoli versus Kung Pao chicken, that's a very low rung on the ladder. Human life and safety, that's very high. 
on that ladder of values. I'm not going to risk my life just to get some beef and broccoli. Because safety is higher than beef and broccoli on the ladder of values. A sane and a rational person chooses higher values over lower values. A rational choice involves giving up something of lower value to attain something of a higher value. If it is a question of my safety versus beef and broccoli, I choose my safety every time. Because that's a higher value. But what's the highest value? What's the top rung of that ladder of values? What is the greatest purpose? What is the most important goal? What is the greatest possible good? Or to put it the way the Westminster Larger Catechism puts it, what is the chief and the highest end of mankind? If you don't know the answer, I'll give you a clue. It's not safety. If you don't know the answer... I'll give you a clue again. It's not safety. The highest value, according to the Westminster Larger Catechism, isn't even human life itself, which is a very high value. The chief and the highest end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. In our readings from Ephesians, we see that the whole of creation... And the whole history of Israel and the whole plan of God's salvation, all of it was designed by God in His providence to the praise of God's glorious grace. That's the purpose of the whole thing. That's the end, to praise God's glorious grace. But let me turn our attention for just a minute to our reading from Isaiah where we have One little episode in God's very long providential history of caring for God's people. In Isaiah chapter 37, we have the story of an encounter between two kings, King Hezekiah of Judah and King Sennacherib of Assyria. In this story, we see that God kills 185,000 men in a single night, and he does it to the praise of his glorious grace. Now let me tell the truth. Those 185,000 men had mothers who loved them. They had wives and children at home. They were real people with real lives, with real histories and real families. Let's not dehumanize them. And God killed them all in one night to the praise of his glorious grace. That is the God of the Bible. And I mention this so that we can brace ourselves for the truth of God's unlimited power of his absolute sovereignty over every nation, both those nations who recognize his rule and those nations who worship at false altars. I want us to grasp 
two hard truths this morning. And we're going to carry these truths for the remainder of this sermon series on providence because they are foundational truths. Hard truth number one, God who made everything, God who governs all things, God who has the power to do whatever he wants, sometimes this God ends the life of one individual or the lives of thousands of individuals, and he does it to the praise of his glorious grace. 185,000 Assyrian men in one night in the 7th century B.C. Oh, did I mention that those men died in answer to the prayer of a righteous king? Second Chronicles 31.20 tells us that King Hezekiah of Judah, quote, did what was good and right and faithful before the Lord his God. Judah is this pipsqueak little kingdom. Next to a global superpower, Assyria, King Sennacherib of Assyria was accustomed to throwing his weight around and getting what he wanted. Little neighboring kingdoms could not resist his armies. He sent a letter to Hezekiah, mocking the God of Israel, telling Hezekiah to not resist, to submit to his armies, to let the armies occupy the promised land. And Hezekiah took the letter the letter of Sennacherib, and he went into the temple in Jerusalem, and he laid it out before God, and he began to pray, and he said this, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are God alone of all the kingdoms of earth you have made, heaven and earth. I want you to notice how Hezekiah links creation and providence We've already said that providence is creation, volume two. He links creation and providence. Providence, which is God's rule over everything that happens in this world. Providence is creation, volume two. Because God is the creator, God is also the ruler. He made all of the kingdoms. He's going to rule them. God rules godly kingdoms and he rules godless kingdoms as well. Hezekiah recognizes that connection between God's creatorhood and his rulerhood. And then he offers his prayer, and he closes his prayer this way. Now, O Lord, our God, save us from Sennacherib. And notice why. Not save us from Sennacherib because we want safety. Not save us from Sennacherib because that would be more comfortable for us. Lord our God, save us from Sennacherib that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone are God. God kills 185,000 Assyrian soldiers so that the world would know that the God of Israel is the God of the universe. Hard truth number two. At the end of the day, God's blessings, God's favor, God's mercy, God's answer to our prayers, they really are not about us. They are about God. They are about the praise of His glorious grace. Most people don't want to hear that, but that's what the Bible teaches We need to be really careful 
to avoid a religion that revolves around us. When we praise God because of what He did for us, it's not about us. And if we think that it's about us, if we think that Christianity is about making us happy or prosperous, then we have a false Christianity. Now don't get me wrong, I do believe that Christians are happier and healthier and more prosperous than non-Christians. But my happiness and my health and my prosperity are not the reason that God sent His Son to the world to die on a cross. He did that for His own glory. God delivers Jerusalem from the hands of King Sennacherib for His own glory. God kills 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. He kills the king of Assyria. So that all the kingdoms would know that Yahweh alone is God. Everything that happens in this world is under God's control. And it all happens to the praise of His glorious grace. These are two hard truths I want us to grasp early in this sermons on God's providence. Hard truth number one. God who made all things, God who governs all things, God who has the power to do anything he wants, sometimes God ends the life of one or God ends the life of thousands and he does it to the praise of his glorious grace. Hard truth number two, at the end of the day, God's blessings, God's favor, God's mercy, God's answers to our prayers are not really about us. They're about God. They are for the praise of His glorious grace. Now let me mention Ukraine just one more time because I know it's on all of our minds. By the way, I do not like to have our worship life, I do not like our life in the sanctuary to be disrupted by the latest news. Because there's always one alarm or another going on in the world and the news media get paid to keep us alarmed. But I want you to know that I have been praying King Hezekiah's prayer. I have been praying that every Russian soldier in Ukraine would either lose their weapons and be shipped back home or lose their lives and lie in an unmarked grave. I have been praying that God would deal with Vladimir Putin as decisively and permanently as he dealt with King Sennacherib. And I have been praying that all who support, defend, excuse, admire, or shield murderous tyrants, that they would face God's immediate and irrevocable judgment. That's been my earnest prayer. These last few days. And to God be the glory. And I need you to know, lest you think that I have allowed the news to influence what scripture we read in this sanctuary, that my scripture selections for this week were made before the Russian invasion of Ukraine. The alignment is providential. And while the story of King Sennacherib and King Hezekiah seems to exactly parallel the story of President Putin and President Zelensky, I chose this passage because I am preaching a series of sermons on God's providence and God's destruction of the Assyrian army 
is one example of God's providential rule in this world. I selected this passage because I want us to see that while sometimes God's providence is gentle and nurturing and protective, at other times God's providence is devastating and destructive. And in all of these circumstances, God's providence is directed toward one ultimate goal, namely to the praise of his glorious grace. So let me return to our previously scheduled sermon. The first question of the Westminster Larger Catechism asks, what is the chief and the highest end of man, mankind? Now, that language is a little old-fashioned for us these days, but what that means is what is the greatest purpose of humans? What were we made for? Why are we here? What's our ultimate goal? By asking the purpose of something, what it was made for, its goal, its end, this is a very important question. It's a question that we should be regularly asking ourselves about what we're doing. If you think about where you're putting your time and your energy and your money, you're really thinking about your purpose in this world. What's your purpose? What are you doing with your life? You only have a certain amount of time. You only have a certain amount of money. You only have a certain amount of energy. What are you doing with it? Where is this going? What you do with your time and energy and money is an indication of what you think is most important. A person who has a rational and a well-ordered life He will use his time and energy and money for higher purposes. A person who's wasting his life will use his time and energy and money for lower purposes. We need to prioritize our purposes in the right way. If we want to have a sane life, a life that counts, a life that's pleasing to God, a life that makes a difference for eternity. Now, please notice that each lower purpose can point to a higher purpose. And at the end of that hierarchy or that ladder should be our highest purpose, our chief end. If we know what our chief end is, all the other little steps will fall into place. Let me give you an example at my house. I did not ask permission for this example, but on Thursday evenings after a long week at work, my wife gets into her car and she drives to Chester County to take an evening class at Immaculata University. Now, in doing that, my wife has chosen to not spend the evening with her family, to not go to the gym for the workout that she loves, to not have the rest that she needs, to not have the money that she spent on the class. So why is she doing it? What's the purpose or the end or the goal of her effort? Why would she trade so many other good things, time with family, time at the gym, time relaxing, money in the bank? Why would she trade so many other good things to spend her money sitting in the class at Immaculata University? Well, she's there because she's working toward her doctorate degree. She's given up many lower goods, many lower goals, many lower purposes to attain a higher good. A higher goal, a higher purpose. But you can ask, well, why do you need a doctorate degree? Why is that the goal? 
And is that her highest goal? Or is that just another rung on the ladder that's leading to the highest goal yet? If Ava were seeking, for example, the doctorate simply because she wanted a sheepskin and wanted to have certain letters after her name, then you might think that she's going to an awful lot of trouble for just a little bit of honor. You can ask her yourself, but I think if you ask my wife why she's going to all of the trouble to earn her doctorate, I think she would say something about wanting to be able to serve students better. About wanting to have an impact on the lives of a larger number of students. On wanting particularly to help students who are underserved. And if you ask, well, why do that? Why not just serve kids in a rich suburb? I mean, after all, they need good teachers too. If you ask that question, you're getting pretty close to the highest question. To the God question. To the calling question. What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. If you take a look at your life, at the various goods that you're pursuing, you should be able to arrange them in a ladder. You should be able to see how that ladder points to the thing that's most important in your life. And if what's most important in your life is not to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever, then you have a disordered life. And your life will not count and your life will be burned up on the day of judgment and nothing will be left over. Jesus says lay up treasures in heaven. And we do that by making the thing which is most important, the glory of God, most important in our life. People who are selfish, people who only live for their own pleasure or glory, people who only live for safety, those people are not fully human. They have failed to live into the image of God that God has impressed upon their souls. Now what I want you to notice in the Westminster Larger Catechism's first question is that there is a link between glorifying God and enjoying God. I don't know if you noticed, but the answer to the question of what's the most important thing in your life involves the question of enjoying. Our highest end is about enjoyment of God. I hope you see that. It's about our highest pleasure. There's a link between our enjoyment of God and our glorifying God because you see when we enjoy God, we also naturally glorify Him. God wants us to enjoy Him. We don't come to church, oh, because it's an obligation. Oh, it's such a misery to do the right thing. But you know, I'm going to be a martyr and I'm going to do what God tells me to do. God has called us into a life of pleasure, high pleasure, grand enjoyment, because he knows that out of that high pleasure and grand enjoyment will come the highest praise. C.S. Lewis captures this. There's a book that probably few of you who read, it was 1959, it's called Reflections on the Psalms. Not one of his better known works, but in, in this work he writes this. All enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise. The world rings with praise. Lovers praise their mistresses. 
Readers praise their favorite poets. Walkers praise the countryside. Players praise their favorite games. We praise the weather and wine and dishes and actors and horses and colleges and countries, historical personages, children's flowers, mountains, rare stamps, rare beetles, and even sometimes politicians and scholars. We delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes our joy. Praise is the appointed consummation of our joy. God's grandest purpose is to bring glory to Himself. And He does that by creating a plan of salvation for humankind who happens to be the pinnacle of creation, God's plan of salvation, which brings us joy and causes us to praise God. We praise Him, we who are saved, praise God joyfully and willingly just because we're so delighted with Him. It's just so marvelous what He's done for us that we can't help but praise Him. Those who have been redeemed, those who are no longer lost in sin, but who have been rescued by God, they sing God's praise, and they sing His glorious praise, and they sing the praise of His grace. When we find hope in Christ, we sing to Christ. When we realize the inheritance we have in Christ, we sing praise to God for His glorious grace. God's salvation is to our benefit for sure, but its highest purpose is beyond us. God has saved us to be a nation of priests. Who sing God's praises forever. We praise Him because we are delighted with Him. We praise Him because we value Him above all else. We praise Him because we enjoy Him. And we who are in Christ will enjoy Him forever. And out of that eternal and intense enjoyment, there will naturally flow eternal and intense praise of God. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. God gives us great pleasure and satisfaction in Him because that will bring Him the glory that He deserves and the praise He deserves. As John Piper puts it, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. So do you know Jesus as your Savior this morning? Are you overwhelmed by His beauty? And by the beauty of His plan of salvation? Has He lifted you up out of the miry clay and put your feet on the solid rock of Christ. Let us pray. Father God, for all your goodness, we give you thanks and we thank you for the witness of the prophets of old. We thank you for the prayer of King Hezekiah. And we thank you for the salvation of your people down through centuries. We thank you for The culmination of your salvation in Jesus Christ, we thank you for bringing that salvation to the larger world. 
We thank you for Brother Paul and his willingness to risk his life to tell other people about the gospel. We thank you that he did not value safety above all else. We thank you for the church at Ephesus and the way in which they brought joy to Paul. The way in which their lives had been transformed by the gospel and they had turned from things that were passing away and had, were clinging to Christ. We pray this day that you would enlarge in our mind our estimation of your grandeur and your power and your glory. Lord, I pray that we would see how big you are. And I pray that we would also recognize your grace. What it is that you've done for us. That the favor that you've shown us in, in, in a way that we don't deserve. I thank you for lifting me up out of the mess of my own making. And giving me an inheritance with Christ himself. Lord God, I pray that you would impress upon each one of us, the faith that we need to cling to Christ. And Lord, I pray that we would glory in Christ above all else. Lord, I ask for the other blessings of this life. But Lord, take those blessings from us if they distract us from you. May we praise you. You are from everlasting to everlasting. May we not be satisfied with the things of this world that are passing away. Lord, we ask that you would bring glory and honor to yourself in our lives and in the life of this church. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please now join me in confessing what it is that we believe as Christians using the words of the Westminster Confession of Faith.